Hello, Jeff Johnston, Living Undeterred Podcast. Uh, once again, I have a very interesting guest. I'm really excited to kind of turn the tables on Larry. I had the honor to be on his show, uh, Midland Money Mindset, which was a great conversation we had. And I didn't realize that Larry has a tremendous passion for mental health. Um, I just kind of see the financial side of, of, of what he markets and promotes, but little did I know lurking behind this uh, well-mannered individual, someone who's extremely passionate about mental health. So I want to dig deep eventually, Larry, into uh, how that uh, transpired. Um, but first of all, welcome to the show and um, a little bit of background about who Larry is and what you're up to. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, nice to connect again and have another conversation. And uh, I welcome your listeners because I think it's going to be a very good one. So thanks again. Uh, like you said, I'm Larry Sprung. So I, I basically have two hats, if you will. Uh, I have a, a financial services wealth management firm, which is Midland Financial, mm -hmm. which is also dovetailed with my podcast, The Midland Money Mindset, which you were very gracious and uh, an excellent guest. And uh, the podcast really focuses, it's kind of developed over time. We kind of have focus on three areas. One is entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Two is mental health and mental health related stories. And three is uh, hockey related because we're, <laughs> Uh, and I am a big hockey family, so I, I love talking hockey as much as I can. So we've kind of gone in those three areas. And then on the personal side, you know, as you mentioned in the in the intro, I'm very passionate about mental health. I served on the national board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, mm -hmm. uh, which is located in New York City for about 14 years. Um, and I still serve on their finance and investment committee. I was a uh, product of my own uh, legislation, if you will, or, or bylaw changes while I was in or on the board uh, in terms of instituting term limits. So I had hmm. reached my term limit and had to roll off, but I'm still very actively involved with the organization. And my wife and I collectively with a great group of people, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that because um, we weren't able to do it alone. We, we've raised about $1.7 million in the last 18 years uh, in my brother-in-law's memory mm. uh, that is set up as a memorial fund at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Yeah, I know you had uh, talked about your brother-in-law. Um, is that something that you continually share publicly um, and use that as, you know, maybe a, a door opener to some of these topics that we can get into? Because I have found, Larry, and I'm sure you would agree that when you um, relate your vulnerability first, um, it allows other people to feel like a safe zone that we can have these conversations. So um, do you mind talking a little bit about your brother-in-law? Um, kind no, of what transpired? It, it, yeah, it'd be my pleasure. And, uh, you know, like you, Jeff, a great way to honor him by and, talking about him. Yeah, we're open and honest and very forthcoming for a lot of the same reasons, right. because I think the more folks like you, the more folks like me that share our loved ones stories and those that we know, uh, the more mainstream will make it and make people feel more comfortable about having their own conversations mm -hmm. about their own situations and, you know, hopefully seeking or gaining the help or assistance that they need either for themselves or their loved ones. So, uh, you know, it's a pleasure for me to share it. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm in the position and my family's here, mm -hmm. but if we're here, we're going to do what we need to do to hopefully prevent others from uh, you know, living a similar script, if you will. So my brother-in-law uh, passed away in 2004, uh, September 2004, he died by suicide. And he had a, uh, you know, long battle with uh, bipolar disorder, and he just could not get things right. You mm -hmm. know, various medications, various types of treatments, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, etc., and, uh, you know, he had, he had a difficult time. And I, I think there are two stories that I share uh, a lot. And, you know, one of them is, you know, we were a really close knit family and he was at my house, you know, all the time. And one of the one of the stories I remember, you know, not too far before his passing, we were in my backyard and I believe we were planting a tree. And, and he looked at me in the eye and he said, you know, Larry, I'm running out of time. And I said, what do you mean you're running out of time? I said, you know, Keith, and, you know, again, 
this was when I had a lot less knowledge than I have now. Right. Uh, I was a lot less informed at that time. Uh, you know, so I, I looked at him and I said, you know, what do you mean you're running out of time? I said, you know, basically you have, you know, not a lot of responsibilities. His employer knew the troubles he was going through and gave him, you know, complete autonomy to take care of himself and make sure that he took care of himself first. So many times he would stop by my house in the middle of the day and lay on the couch just to relax and decompress. Right. And, you know, he was living back at home with my in-laws. So, you know, a lot of his ultimate responsibilities weren't there. So I was like, how are you running out of time? He goes, Larry, you got to understand. Well, maybe you don't understand. He goes, every day I wake up in the morning and I feel like I have 105 fever and I'm battling the flu. Hmm. He goes, imagine, he goes, you think about the flu, you had it for a week. He goes, imagine having it for a year where you're feeling that same way every hmm. day when you wake up. And, you know, that resonated with me. And, you know, it, it was a tough spot. He was 27 years old. Wow. He was a real good looking guy in great shape, went to the gym a lot. Uh, you know, was the life of the party. Uh, mm -hmm. He used to go out to the Bordy Barn, which doesn't exist anymore in the Hamptons, used to dress up as Superman on the weekends. And mm -hmm. to this day, we run into people that used to frequent that place and they remember him as Superman. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one story. And then, you know, one thing that I know you talk about in terms of the mental health system and, you know, this I feel really ha was a contributing factor for my brother-in-law as well, uh, the April or so before his passing, uh, he was hospitalized, mm. uh, you know, because he had threatened to potentially hurt, harm himself. So we put him on a hold or he put himself, the doctor put him on a hold. And unfortunately, it was going into uh, Easter weekend and the hospital that he was at uh, and being looked after had a couple of different floors that treated all various types of different mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. And he happened to be on a floor that was not a very severe, uh, you know, exposure to mental illness. And then there was another floor where people were schizophrenic sure. and, and, you know, far, far more difficult medical cases, if you will. And going into that weekend being Easter weekend, they were shorthanded they ended up combining the two floors. Okay. And that was probably one of the worst things for my brother-in-law and his situation, because when we went to visit him and he was surrounded by these other folks that were, you know, in a much more difficult spot than he was from our view and my brother-in-law's view, when we were talking to my brother-in-law, he looked us dead in the eye and he said, I'm just telling you right now, I am not going to end up like that or them. Wow. You know, I'm not ending up here in that situation. And, you know, those two things resonated with me. And, you know, again, unfortunately, ultimately ended up taking his life in uh, in September of that year. I was one of the last people that spoke to him. He called my house the evening before and, mm. you know, he was out of sorts. You could tell something was wrong and, and not right. And we called a couple of friends to make sure they looked after him. And, you know, after his passing, really the thing that resonated with me was I had never really known anybody who passed away from suicide. Right. And, you know, I knew about bipolar disorder and I thought about it and I never really thought that the end result could potentially be death. You know, no different than my mom contracting or coming down with cancer at a very early age and right. passing away at 47. You know, it's a very hard thing to understand when you look at him, good looking, in mm -hmm. shape guy. And, you know, inside he's, you know, struggling tremendously. So it, it was really in that moment that my wife and I really made a commitment and said, hey, you know, we, got, we, we can't let him go lightly and we can't let him go quietly we need to start telling his story. And really it all started at his funeral when we started, you know, you know, interacting with other folks that came to pay their respects. I can't tell you how many people came up to us. You know, I lost an uncle to suicide, right. but, but the family thinks it was a car accident. I lost my so-and-so to suicide and this one. And we started realizing that you know, although we were now new to this world where we were a survivor, right. uh, it's something that is very commonplace and out there. And right then and there, we made our commitment to not let him go quietly, tell his story in an effort to raise awareness, lower the stigma, and hopefully 
move people towards being more comfortable in finding treatments for themselves in order to avoid the same thing that our family was going through. Yeah. And I think, you know, looking at, and you, you know, a lot more as a suicide advocate slash mental health as, as I do, as I would think, maybe I know a little bit more on, on fentanyl and the overdose issue. Sure. Um, but sometimes it's the people that look like they're Superman are the ones that are Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, Robin Williams, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And so I think as an observer, as a son, as a brother, as a dad, we need to be very aware uh, and sensitive to these issues. And I think you and I both are kind of relatively new on this journey of mental health advocacy. I know five years ago, I could have really care less about uh, mental health. Um, I didn't really know it was much of a term. My dad, I just figured out, I get my stuff together, you know, just get your life figured out. You know, that was kind of like how we described mental health years ago. And then all of a sudden something happens like, you know, a suicide in your case uh, with your brother-in-law and then, or death or something makes you realize that there's deeper underpinnings inside of all of us. You know, it doesn't matter what you look like, color, race, religion, money, doesn't matter. And mental health doesn't care, doesn't discriminate. Um, I was going to ask you, I wanted to ask you this last time, maybe we talked about in your show, I don't recall, but with things like depression and anxiety and attention deficit, do you think that some kids have these concerns and some don't, or do you think it lies on a spectrum where like we all have depression, but some of us either have figured out ways to deal with it or some it's just so high on the spectrum that they have to be medicated. You know, I mean, do you feel, what's your thoughts on this spectrum idea? I I hear a lot of advocates talking about this now. My view is this, and you know, I have learned a lot over the last uh, 18 years or so since my brother-in-law's passing and, you know, one of the things that I wholeheartedly believe in my heart of hearts is there is really, and there wasn't really no difference between me and my brother-in-law right? or me and anybody else out there. Right. The difference is the way our brains are, whether they're hardwired, the genetics, how they've, you know, the brain has changed over time due to, um, due to uh, decisions that have been made during our lifetimes, whatever it is, something's different in the brain that is allowing me to handle, cope, address with adversity Mm -hmm. or other things that are thrown at me versus other people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I, I, I just think it's really, there's really no difference. It's just really a way, a different way of us, um, you know, going through those motions of, of, uh, you know, going through that process of rationalizing or dealing with adversity that makes us different, you know, because if you think about it, you could put two people in the same facts and circumstances under a same stressor, right? And one will walk away like nothing's happening. And one will be, you know, anxious or be depressed. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I think everybody has the tendency. Uh, I think you have to be mindful of when you're getting there. And I, I think one of the things that I've also found is there's this misnomer, if you will, by the public, I think, or a lot of folks that if you are depressed or you suffer from anxiety, that this is something that's with you for the rest of your life. So if you go on medication, it's something you're going to be medicated for the rest of your life on. And I don't agree with that. I think that there are circumstances and events in people's lives that perhaps lead to uh, bouts or time horizons where they battle with these things and sometimes could be situational, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know a, a, a colleague, uh, not in the financial services, a, a different area that was on a medication for uh, depression and anxiety for about three years. And he got off of it just recently. And, you know, he was disappointed that he was on it as long as he was, because he realized when he looked back at what he was going through three years ago, when he started the regimen, he was 
buying a new house. Mm. He had his second child. Right. His wife was changing careers. There were like three, four, five different events going on in his life at that moment. That clearly was probably the result. The result yeah. was the anxiety. Right. And those were the causes. Right. So, you know, he kind of felt like he could have potentially avoided the medication. Maybe, you know, he, he doesn't regret it per se, but he feels like he was on it longer than he needed to be because he was his own advocate and finally said, I don't know that I need this anymore. I want to wean off of it. And then he started reconciling things and realized all those events were happening at the same time. So sure. I, I think that happens a lot. And I think there's this misnomer that if you go get treated for it, that it's something you're going to be in treatment for the rest of your life. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. Well, the ability to self-assess and know in the continuum where you're at, that's important feature as well. And for a lot of people that are struggling right now, they don't even know there is a continuum and they don't know there are phases. And so as advocates, we need to try to be aware of that. But I wanted to pivot a little bit to something that I'd be remiss not to talk about, and that's the financial services industry and talk about poor relationships with money uh, and how that can affect the quality of life of retirees as they grow their portfolios. That's one part of successful retirement, the financial part, but the emotional part can weigh even heavier. And I know lots of rich, miserable people. Um, and so I think as an advisor for 32 years, uh, still practicing, I have an OSJ delegate, but I still have my licenses. We always tried to navigate through those, those tough dynamics of showing people that, you know, how to build wealth, diversification, asset allocation, you know, um, the sequence of returns, all these different things that we study in finance. But if someone has a dysfunctional relationship with money, all that's for nothing. So what's your thoughts on that? How can we as advisors or as a society, as um, financial advisors and mental health advocates, uh, get people to have a better, healthier, realistic expectation with with money and what does it really mean to people? It means so many different things to so many yeah. different people. Yeah. Well, since you've been in the business 32 years and I've been in the, in the, uh, the profession for 25, 26 as well, uh, I won't, I'll be dating both of us here, but we, we talk a lot about the three-legged stool mm -hmm. and the three-legged stool when we first got in the profession was that you're going to build, you know, a revenue stream or assets in terms of the three legs where social security yep. is something that's going to help fund your retirement, yep. your pension and your investments. And those right. were going to be the three legs of the stool that were going to help sustain you in retirement. Mm -hmm. And as we stand here today, basically that stool is shot because social security, there's debates about that, how long that's going to last, et cetera. Pensions are virtually gone yeah. unless you work for a municipality or a hospital or something along those lines. It's very few. Now that's on you. And really the retirement and your portfolio is really the biggest uh, part of that. So we've actually revamped the stool. And I talk about the three legs being your financial health, which is what you were just, you know, referring to mm -hmm. your mental health and your physical health. Mm. And all three of those things are directly tied to each other. If you're lacking in one of those areas, it affects the other. 100%. If you're not feeling financially secure, yep. you're not going to be working out and taking care of your physical body. Your mental health isn't going to be great. And then, you know, you could pick on e any one of those three and they're really interrelated. So it's more important than ever. And, and if you think about it from the, that stool, two of the three legs really have nothing to do about money. Right. Uh, so if you think about when you're having these conversations with families and, and the families we serve, we're spending upwards of 60 to 70% of our conversations and our time around the physical and the mental health because mm -hmm. the financial health, you know, is directly tied to that. So we spend a lot of time there. And, you know, I think that this construct that's been set up, you know, for, for a long time in terms of, hey, you work 30, 40 years in a profession and then you retire, you know, I think it's antiquated I to some too. degree. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're seeing it live. We're seeing people who are retiring and then going back to work. Right. Right. And the media, I, I think, I believe the media and the reporting on it gives you the impression that people are doing this because they need the money They're You know, they need more income. Right. 
And that's true. In certain cases, that's a hundred percent fact. Right. They're going back to work because they need the money. But I also would tell you that there are a lot of cases where people are going back to work because they have no idea on how to fill that time void mm -hmm. in a meaningful way. And you just and, hit something I wanted to jump on real quick because I'll forget. Sure. You said meaningful. And that's where I was talking about meaning and purpose. How do you get it from a financial advisor's lens now? Now you're a little bit different because your organization is doing the correct thing. And that's spending a lot of time on non-financial things. I think far too many investment firms are just predicated on returns and uh, model portfolios and fancy yeah. charts and all that crap. Um, yeah. But how, how do you instill, install, how do you talk about meaning and purpose to 65 year old person, no debt, 3 million bucks travel, already traveled the world, done the beach thing, plays golf any day, every day, anyway, you know, how, how do you talk about meaning and purpose? Someone like that. You just, you just do it just like you're doing it now. And we <laughs> would talk about it right here. I mean, you, first of all, you don't want to wait till they're 65, right? That mm -hmm. that's the first thing where I think, you know, again, going back to that construct, we're so, you know, our firms in our profession, businesses in our profession, as you said, are so focused on the dollars, the cents and the numbers. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to focus on everything else because that stuff will follow. Mm. You know, if you have the meaning and purpose, you have that understanding and you understand why you should be putting money in these various accounts and growing them over time. That makes it easier than just telling somebody, well, you're going to have to put this in so you can live the lifestyle. Well, I don't even know what lifestyle I want to live. So how do you yeah. how do you even know that? Right? right. So I think you have to have those conversations early on. If you are not in the situation where you can, you know, you have to have those conversations. We just had we just had a family that uh, the husband retired. The wife was a stay at home mom for a long time. The husband just retired in his early 60s and he's about a year and a half in. And, you know, you could tell he's lucky. He's has a lot of free time. Uh, he's he's filling that time with meaningful stuff because he's got about six or seven grandkids. Oh, okay. And that's taking up a lot sure. of his time. But we had a we had a big conversation about that in terms of, you know, what's the infrastructure that you have in place when you retire? What are the hobbies that you're going to double down on? Where are you getting that meaningfulness out of your life when you retire? Because unfortunately, many of us are kind of designed and hardwired to be identified by our role or our oh, yeah. work or our yeah. job. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we got to get break out of that. We're people first that have meaning and purpose who actually do work in a specific field, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I talk about being a mental health advocate, a father of two boys who play competitive hockey, a Ranger fan who happens to be in the wealth management profession. I like that. Right. I like that. And, and I think that that's kind of what we have to get people to start thinking about. So ideally you want to start talking and having these conversations with the 65 year old in their forties and fifties and kind of having them start thinking about where they're going to find that meaning. If they're getting the meaning from their work now and from their life, how are they going to double down on that when they retire, stop working, slow down right. and have all those extra hours available? I think when I was a practicing advisor, we worked on the four buckets and you guys have buckets. I'm sure everyone has buckets. We didn't invent that. As a matter of fact, nothing I did in 32 years, I invented. <laughs> um, but you know, you had your, your cash, your liquid bucket, then you had your income bucket, then you had your growth bucket. But the one bucket that seemed to not really get a lot of attention in the planning stages. So it would, it would at retirement when someone actually retired, but not when they were in the planning stages was the legacy bucket. What's your legacy? You know, um, you know, insurance policies that you, you may or may not keep, you know, if, if they don't need to go to your children, do you consider putting those into something where they can actually go tax-free to, to an, an organization that, that is philanthropic in your, in your heart or some charitable or some foundation, or do you want to leave your IRA instead, you know, um, and disinherit the government that way? I mean, there's so many really cool legacy things we can do with money 
that becomes more than just um, looking at your chips on the table every day and, and your the whims and ups and downs and flows of the market dictate the quality of your day experience. And so if you have this legacy bucket where you have a percentage of your assets that are just, you're never going to spend and you're not going to touch and it's going to go somewhere that provided peace of mind to a lot of our clients that when they got to retirement, instead of looking at all their money as one big $3 million 401k, we would then break it up into buckets, at least visually for them. And then sure. when the market would drop 20, 30% or I was, you know, around an 01 and 08, as you were clients would call in saying, well, my, 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 my money went down. And we would say instinctively, which bucket are we talking about? And they would say, right. oh yeah, this is three, number three bucket. And I said, well, that's your growth bucket, right? Remember we talked about, we're not going to be worried about that. If this was in your income bucket, we'd be a little bit concerned, but if it was in your cash bucket, that'd be bad. But we already, your plan already allocated that mindset that our relationship with bucket three prepared us for these corrections. But see, most people don't do that. They'll look at their 401k as a zero sum game. It went up, it goes down, I win, I lose. And again, I think that's a dysfunctional relationship that a lot of uh, consumers have with their money. Um, and, it, and again, yeah, you can like, just look at the outflows and inflows of the markets. Dalbar has been saying yeah. that forever. You know, the market does yeah, terrible, I mean, more money comes out. Market does great, more money goes in. Yeah, I listen, I, I agree with you. I think I have two comments. One is I think on the on the legacy piece, there are a lot of people that have a very difficult time kind of working through that and and. Because of dealing with process. death, you think? Because of dealing yeah, with the end? Yeah. Yeah. I'd yeah. Agree. You know, and, and I think also to your point about meaningful, right, and purpose, I think a lot of people don't have that and, and or have taken the time right. to really identify what that is. Mm -hmm. So when you combine the fact that you really don't know what that meaningful meaningful and purpose are, and you, you don't want to talk about death and your own mortality, it causes a disconnect and almost an inability to kind of think that far down or, you know, think about a meaningful way to, to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I also agree with you in regards to, you know, the markets. We, we just had somebody in here recently uh, who's very concerned about what's been going on mm -hmm. with their portfolio. And, you know, just in the last eight or nine months of 2022, right? Right. And then I dragged it out. We've been working with them for 10 plus years. And yep. I pulled it out and I said, well, if you look at it, really, you almost doubled right. your assets with us over this period of time, maybe even more so uh, than that. And really all you are, you've, you have declined, but you decline from that high watermark, which is where you're more or less, you know, identifying and, and evaluating this thing. Good from. point. And, and it's tough. It's tough. You know, there are certain people, uh, many of the families we work with get it and understand it. Uh, but then there are certain people, depending upon their upbringing, their background, et cetera, like this, this gentleman is used to having money in a bank account and, you know, he was in the construction union. So his money for the most part uh, from there was in a fixed annuity yeah. that the union had that he saw it going up every right. month. You right. know, he looked at the statement. So now he sees it going down right. and, you know. But it, there's a larger education process there, right. right? And and I think that we have to level the playing field a little bit. And I've talked about this before. We have to get our young people understanding and feeling more comfortable about money. Mm -hmm. And I do not think, you know, I, I feel very passionate about this. I've heard since I started in the profession, and you probably as well, that, oh, we need classes. We need this to be in the school system, the educational system. We mm -hmm. need to teach our young. You know, it hasn't happened yet. Right. It's happened in drips and drabs. It hasn't happened. Right. You know, my view is it ain't going to happen. I agree. Uh, you know, and I think and as I'm not parents, sure that's the best place to learn it either. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. You're probably right about that. My, you know, my kids were lucky because I'm in the profession right, yours right. as well. So they benefited from that. Yep. But I, I think that parents really have to take the undertaking that if they have the knowledge and ability, then and, and they have good habits and, and they have that confirmed that they have to pass that along and educate their children. 
And on the flip side, if they don't have the expertise or the knowledge or, or good money habits, then they have to find an advisor that they can work with, not only them, but their family, and help them educate the kids as well to get better with money and understanding it and be able to think in terms of, hey, this money is not just for retirement. It's it's a tool for me to lead a meaningful life that I'll have purpose and utilize those funds for to benefit me, my legacy, my family, whatever those goals, you know, that I'm looking to accomplish. And we talk a lot about here, you know, finding your freedom. We talk to families you know, what does finding your freedom mean to you? And Mm -hmm. it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it gets people thinking about that. You know, you and I are close to the same age. I'm a little bit older. Um, Our client base is probably pretty similar um, in regards to average age. What do you tell the millennials and the the next gen and and the younger Gen Z, I guess, um, in regards to like things like big um, uh, cryptocurrencies, like where does that play in for you as a money guy? You know, I obviously I have my opinions on that, but I want to hear yours. Um, and then the fear of missing out. It seems like today with, with the way investments can be so viral, it's like by the time someone sees something, they've, you've already missed the opportunity. How do you have these conversations with some of your younger clients say in their, in their, you know, thirties and forties? Yeah. So I I think there's a place for all the above, right? Uh, I just don't know where the winners and losers are going to be when all said and done. We did that. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be doing podcasts if we knew that. (laughs) Right. There'll clearly be winners and losers, but uh, you know, to the point, you know, I have to, I want to stay up and relevant. I want to stay on top of it. So in the last year, for example, I purchased a little bit of Bitcoin for myself. I have to enough, enough just to understand and, and make it relevant to me. And so I had a little skin in the game. I probably bought mine a little bit higher than you bought yours. I'm just guessing. (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't know about that, but maybe, but you know, not enough that if it went to zero tomorrow, it would impact my life. Agree. Um, you know, I also bought a couple of NFTs over the last couple of years for the same reasons, not because I I'm wholeheartedly in thinking that these are the ways of the future, but I want to be able to be understand it better have relevancy to have those conversations. So I think there's places for it. And and I liken it to, you know, when I talk to younger folks, I liken it to uh, cannabis stocks or even the technology boom and bust of the 90s. You know, there are so many companies coming in these various, you know, industries and areas that it it's hard to know which one's going to be a winner or which one's going to be a loser, you know. So you have to take a bit of caution when approaching this because not everything's going to go up. So we have those conversations mm-hmm. and and we educate on those areas and and we talk about that. And I I think it's important. I I think there's going to be a place uh, for blockchain. I think blockchains mm-hmm. are going to be very relevant. I think out of all the things being talked about using the blockchain for purposes like uh, sports tickets, right? Or Broadway show tickets, I think is going to be very relevant in the way of the future. There are other things about it that, you know, some of these obscure coins, I don't think they're going to be around in 5, 10, 15 Mm. years, maybe two years. So I think you got to be careful about that. Uh, In terms of the second part of the question, you know, the FOMO piece, you know, the, the families that we work with and the people we work with, I I say this often, we want to work with investors, not traders. I'm not a trader. I don't know when to get in and when to get out, but I can assure you if we build a portfolio in the right way over the long term, we're going to do very well with it. Um, So for those areas, you know, we have families that want to have more of that trading mentality with hopefully a small portion of their assets, which we're open to, but we don't want to, we don't want that on our books, so to speak, because I've always felt like it's a lose lose for us as a firm. Uh, because if somebody comes to us and says, Hey, I want to buy X, Y, Z, and we let them buy it and it goes down, then it's like, why'd you let me buy it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if they, if they yeah. buy it and it goes to the moon, it's like, I told you so. So we try to keep that separate and we'll tell them, hey, open up a trading account at TD. And, and, you know, if you want, just make sure it's enough that 
if if it went to zero, yeah. that it's not going to impact your life. And we want to work with their investment dollars, their long range plans. Um, but like you said, you know, like I said earlier, I think there's a place for all these things. Yeah. I think you just have to approach it uh, like you would anything else in terms of not putting all your eggs in one basket, diversifying right. and not risking too much where uh, you're going to be in a position to, uh, you know, bankrupt yourself or put you in a bad financial spot if it were to all go to zero because you chose the wrong stock or you chose the wrong coin or the wrong NFT. Don't you think, Larry, that it's more a function of asking the wrong question or it's a framing issue? Because the question should be, what percentage of my investment net worth should be in Bitcoin? Not, not should I own Bitcoin because when I did our radio show for many years, we get called back when gold was really popular. You could hear all the gold commercials, you know, put your 401k in gold, blah, blah, blah. And people would call the radio show saying, well, Jeff, what are you about gold? You know, should I have my, and I said, I love gold. <laughs> Who doesn't love gold? The question isn't, should you invest in gold? That's, that's not the question. Cause that's an unanswerable question. The question is what percentage of your investment net worth did you own in gold? I mean, right. And that's. That was kind of how I dodged that that uh, conversation when people would try to, even to this day, now that I don't practice per se, but it, with Bitcoin and all these other um, cryptocurrencies out there, I think my answer would be the same. It, it's not really what you own. It's how much of it and how long, right? I yeah. mean, isn't that with any I, asset I, class? Isn't that with real estate? Isn't that with ev bonds, everything? Hundred percent. I mean, think about you know uh, people who work for certain companies, right? You've oh, yeah. seen this over yep. your career, yep. right? People, you they come to you and you're you're getting a handle on their assets, and then you come to learn that eighty five percent of their assets are in the stock or some relation to the stock of the company they work for, and they're dead and set that that's appropriate. Yep. <laughs> Because, hey, I work there. Right. They're doing I know what's good going things. on. <laughs> I'm passionate about it. And yeah. those are all good things. Yeah, right. And those are all good reasons to own it. Right. I just don't know that 85% of your net worth wrapped up there is the right idea. So to your point, yes, you should own it. It's a matter of what percentage of your net worth is appropriate that you own of it in your, in your portfolio, right? Right. Well, there's an individual in our industry, Stephen Gwinnup. Do you know her? I do not. Now she runs a organization that's geared towards financial advisors, but it's more towards uh, wealth. Uh, I mean, health. Uh, so she calls it wealthy instead of healthy. And she's got a neat little niche business building. Her dad was a financial advisor and she talks about the mental health. Her big thing is the physical nature of financial advisors because you know, our industry can be extrapolated to other industries and you'd see very similar parallels with uh, dissatisfaction, alcoholism, uh, overweight. Um, at my peak in my financial, financial advisory service, um, I was a heavy alcoholic six days a week, probably 40 pounds overweight. Um, you know, I didn't feel like I was depressed, but I certainly didn't feel great, but I was making really good money traveling, eating these nice restaurants. A reason I bring that up is I think in the financial services industry alone, you can certainly see where a lot of financial advisors, you know, a aren't practicing what they preach from just a pure financial acumen, but just the fact they're not taking care of themselves. And, you know, we preach wealth accumulation, but we also have to look at health accumulation as well. What's your comments on that? And I'm, I'm sure at your firm, you guys, I mean, you look like a marathon runner, so I'm, I'm sure you keep yourself in good shape. Uh, hockey uh, does that not, to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't played. Unfortunately, I haven't played hockey in a long time. But um, I'm I'm very cognizant of taking care of myself. I mean, health I, and wealth are interchangeable, right? Uh, listen, hundred percent. I mean, my wealth, you know, my wealth, your wealth. It doesn't mean anything if we're not around here right. to either enjoy it or watch, you know, our legacy or uh, or our family members, our children in, enjoy it. Right? It makes it makes it kind of pointless. So. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about, whether they're financially related 
or health related are things that I personally practice. And, you know, as an organization, we disseminate and talk about that, uh, you know, in order to be representative of that. I remember I was just telling my wife this story a couple, a couple weeks ago, and I don't even know how it came up, but a, a client of ours, a family that we work with, he's on the HOA for his community. And he was telling us, he goes, uh, he was telling us about an advisor who lived in his community who's tried to solicit his business mm. uh, in the past. And he's like, why would I ever do business with this guy? He goes, he's like eight months past due on his HOA fees. I hear the banks, you know, ready to foreclose yeah. and put a lien, you yeah. know, but that's, you know, that's very commonplace, uh, you know, to, to your point. So, you know, a lot of the things that I talk about, you know, starting early. Uh, I had a 529 plan for my kids before I even had kids. You know, think about that. I had a right. 529 plan, a college savings plan for my family before I even had kids. Um, you know, and that's powerful. It's and rare. So, <laughs> very rare. Yeah. But you know what? Right now I'm taking out money to pay for college and roughly 85 cents on every dollar is growth. I am too. 15, per, 15 yep. cents is principal. So, you know, these are the things that, I have always talked about, but I've also practiced what I preach. Right. And I think that that's important. And I also think it's rare and not only from the money side, but the health side, I'm on a Peloton four or five times a week. Uh, awesome. you know, I try to at least, at least get that half hour of workout in. I feel that much better. Mm -hmm. Try to watch what I eat mm -hmm. as much as I can. And I try to, you know, keep my doctor's appointments, you know, up to date in terms of annual physical and dermatologist, all the normal things mm -hmm. and the, the maintenance things, making sure that those are being taken care of. Because, it, you know, we talked about my brother-in-law, but I also experienced my mom. My mom passed away at 47 from cancer. So I see how important and understand the health component. I understand, uh, you know, not living a long life in order to see the fruits. And I, I think that's important. Let's jump completely to a different topic that I want to pick your brain with. Um, Cause I have a, a real interest in your answer here. Where does artificial intelligence come into play with financial planning and will it make what you and I do, you know, insignificant? I know, I know, back in the day when day trading came around, everybody was like, Oh, doctors and teachers are quitting their jobs and they're trading stocks. You know, your financial advisors will be out of business. I had my banker tell me that you guys will be out of business. You know, I, I don't think we'll ever be out of business, but what's your thoughts on, you know, these seems like these online apps or these platforms where people can do a lot of what we do. Um, not all, but they do a lot. Uh, What's your thoughts on that? And where do you see artificial intelligence and all this stuff coming into play with our industry and, and investments in yeah. general? Yeah. So I, I don't think we're going anywhere. I don't either. Um, I, I think that there are going to be a lot of tools, including AI, that are going to simply be enhancers to help us do a better job for the families we serve. Mm. And I think people have to be very careful about utilizing some of the artificial intelligence and, and the things that are available without having any human interaction whatsoever, because it could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, one of the families we serve uh, had an account or a bunch of accounts at a very large uh, brokerage firm, and she was looking to make a move. The service wasn't there, et cetera. So she had interviewed us. We had a, a meeting with her, and she also went to one of these uh, you know, online firms, if you will, mm -hmm. one of these AI firms. And they put together a great allocation for her, showed her what they would do with the money, et cetera. And she came in and we had a conversation and she's like, what do you think about this? I said, I, I think the allocation's okay. I think the investments are all right. I said, but how do you feel about paying $100,000 in tax this year? And it got quiet. She's like, what do you mean? Hmm. I was like, well, if you look at what they're proposing, they're proposing you sell out of all these investments that you currently have and replace it in their artificial intelligent asset allocation. And that process of selling and buying is going to cost you about $100,000 in tax hmm. this year. And she's like, oh, well, why didn't that show me that? I'm like, I have no idea. I said, but I was able to interpret you that. You probably data didn't and ask. Tell you. <laughs> That's why it didn't show you because well, you didn't ask. <laughs> 
Yeah. So long story short yeah. is we ended up, win, you know, winning that relationship. They've right. been a long time family of ours. So I, I think what we're going to see is that exact thing where AI and, and technology is going to be utilized for us to do a better job, maybe more quickly, more appropriately for the families we serve. And I think it's going to enhance. And, you know, one of the things that we're working towards is really creating this experience and AI platform uh, within our own organization where we can anticipate, can anticipate needs of families before they even know it's a need. Hmm. Uh, so I'll give you an example, right? If we have their whole financial life loaded onto our financial planning tool or client, their client dashboard, you know, if interest rates were to drop precipitously, let's say for some mm -hmm. reason, and they would be able to refinance, we would hopefully the AI at some point will be able to shoot off a message. Hey, interest rates have gone down by such and such. We know you have a home equity line of credit or a yeah. mortgage. You should probably think about refinancing because you could save $250 a month or whatever right. the number is. I think those are the things that we're going to be experiencing and seeing in the future. Yeah. Cause it's already done uh, on other areas of our lives. I mean, I drive sure. by a coffee shop and it'll say, Oh, here's a, you know, cause they know I like to stop maybe at a Starbucks or something. Or, um, when I'm traveling, it does that a lot, you know, with Marriott cause I'm a Marriott rewards member. So it pops up sure. quite a bit, but yeah, I, I could certainly see, um, I would call them annoying things like that that would get texted to me all day long. But, you know, if you handpick them and pick out a few things that could be financially advantageous, then it, it's not annoying. But I do get a lot of these things that ultimately just become annoyances. Um, yeah. You know, you, you probably wow. get 100 emails a day uh. that just one by itself is cool. It's, it's great. Thanks for the reminder. I, I appreciate the fact your candles are going on sale next week. <laughs> but But when 100 of those come a day, it gets to the point where I don't read them anymore. I just delete them. So it's counter, it's right. counterproductive, you know? So I guess we got to kind of be careful how we balance that. Right. Yeah. You don't want to inundate people. You want to make it a meaningful interaction. And you know, it's the, the boy who cried wolf. You don't want to just send stuff to send stuff because when the real thing comes through, right. People are going to ignore it. So you want to make sure that whatever you're sending is meaningful and tailored to them and important. So when they do look, it's something like, Oh, you know what? I got to, I got to, you know, give Larry a call and have a conversation about this. Cause this makes sense. I got to see how this would work for me, you know, and, and make it a, a meaningful interaction rather than an annoyance. What's your favorite client event you've ever put on? My favorite. We've done a few. We just did one recently uh, in the last week, which I did not think it was going to be great or a lot of fun. Uh, and it was amazing. We did a paint and sip event. I saw is, that. I saw your painting. Yeah. Yep, I saw that. Yeah. So so originally going into it, I'm not I'm not artistic in the least. I saw the painting that was picked. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to make this. <laughs> and I will tell you, we had a absolute blast. It right. was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, that was more casual. We've done a, uh, we did a, uh, food and wine and bourbon pairing a couple of years ago. That mm -hmm. was a lot of fun. You know, in my view, I enjoy getting with the families that we serve outside of the normal, you know, meeting call, check-in call to do something unique, whether it's that paint and sip or a wine, bourbon, food pairing or going fishing with them, right. um, planning a trip to uh, a lodge in uh, April now with one of the families we serve, you know, that's the stuff that, you know, I find a lot of meaningful yeah. fullness from. I enjoy connecting with people on that level outside of the normal day to day, which I, I find great. That's what I miss the most about not practicing the last few years uh, is the client relationships, the in the trenches communications, not the portfolio reviews or the, you right. know, those things. Well, first of all, those things very rarely ever interested me to be honest with you. Uh, I'm not a under the hood type of guy. I'm a car salesman. That's what I like to tell people. I, I sell the car, but I don't want to get involved in all the stuff that goes with it. Um, I don't even know what I'm looking at under the hood. Right. Frankly. And you don't want me under your hood. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. we got smart people at the company that does all that. Um, but no, I, I guess that's um, that's admirable that you guys have built a, a pretty impressive. Now, where are you located again? We're located on Long Island in New York. Hop Hog is the town. Okay. I was there one time 
for it's in my book actually a story uh an ncaa basketball tournament round two i think uh, second round tournament with iowa played kentucky there in long island i don't remember the name of the where we're at but uh it was probably at the uh, nassau coliseum it was yeah that's pro yeah i remember having no longer yep i remember having to google that word um (laughs) but uh yeah yeah, so we got beat by kentucky there and actually that was um a memorable tournament because our son seth before you know he was just a little kid Uh, i think that was like in 04 or something um anyway um well i'll tell you what i really enjoyed this opportunity to get you on my show um how can people reach you and I, I guess I'll leave you with this last thing you can comment on what's next for your firm and what do you tell clients right now for the rest of the year? Yeah. So, uh, so two things. So if people want to contact us, the easiest and best way is to go to our website, midlandfinancial.com. It's M I T L I N financial.com. They can uh, email me from there, schedule, and is there a fit call if they have questions? Or they could just find me anywhere on social media, Larry, Lawrence, Sprung. I'll come up and uh, feel free to shoot me a message and connect. Uh, in terms of our organization, we're, we're looking to grow. We're in growth mode now. We're looking to uh, expand our reach in terms of the families that we serve. Uh, and we're also looking to, you know, adding advisors and, and additional folks that can help us uh, do that at a very high uh, touch and, and high level for the families we serve. The remainder of the year this year is really we're focusing on, you know, being that this year is a, uh, a down year thus far. We're doing a lot of assistance with tax planning right. to, you know, take advantage of, you know, any gains offset by losses and, and things of that nature. Um, and on the, you know, on the mental health front as well, I, I would like to share that, you know, I'm doing a lot of shows where we're talking about mental health because I know my journey has been a little bit longer than yours to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I've seen a lot of change and a lot of good happen in the last 18 years. Uh, you know, we're not where we need to be or where we should be, but I will tell you, we are moving along the continuum and things are improving. People are talking about it more, which is going to lead for others looking and searching for help and hopefully identifying, you know, some of the root causes that uh, eventually will be able to be treated and and hopefully help more people uh, not go down the route that uh, you and I have experienced. Well, listen, Larry, I really admire what you do, not only as a fellow financial advisor and the work and the passion you have for that, but now as a a new friend and advocate in the mental health space for me. Um, I'm sure our roads will, our roads will cross again down the road. Um, I'm on a collision course with so many different people seems like with all the projects that we're doing and we all have a common goal and that's to actually two goals, um, to help others, but to also help ourselves. Uh, self-care is so important in the mental health space. I see really good advocates run themselves into the ground, trying to save everyone around them. So I want to remind all of our listeners and followers on both sides of the fence here that, you know, in, in your quest to help other people, make sure that you take care of yourself first, because you're, you're no good to anybody if you're not in a good place. So with that, Larry, thanks for being on the Living Unanswered podcast and good luck on the Midland Money Mindset. And um, again, appreciate your time. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, I wish you all the best in your, your, the difference you're making, not only for others, but for yourself just continue and and we're here to support you along the way as well. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot.